look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli. I'm my co-host here, Dave Popwich. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, not bad, my friend. How about you? Not bad. Not bad at all. We've got an interesting show today. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, flu season. It's the peak, I think, right about now. <laughs> Some indications the vaccine hasn't been effective. Um, and we're also going to expand that conversation a little bit around shingles. Seems to be in a growing concern around this and re-immunization against uh, it as we get older. So we'll talk about that. We're going to hear a little bit about the concept for a business transition. Listen, there's so many Canadians that have um, got a significant chunk of their wealth tied up in their business. This is not something that you can exit quickly. You need to plan it properly. You need to get proper valuation, right? You need to maximize the value of that asset as you transition out of it and into a different structure. Correct. And then finally, we're going to continue on our series of, of divorce, uh, looking at the emotional impacts of divorce. So we started this series last week. It'll be uh, running over a series of weeks because it does unfortunately have a significant impact, Not, I mean, on anybody's life, but certainly as you're transitioning to this period of retirement, gray divorce, fastest growing segment of this, unfortunately, and it has emotional and it has financial implications. Absolutely. <laughs> One of the key things that have come out this this week was actually let's talk about two weeks ago. We just passed twenty five thousand on the Dow Jones, mm -hmm. and we are now passing twenty six thousand on the Dow Jones. And you know, I wanted to, to bring up a clip from good old Donald Trump talking about that uh, not too long ago. We broke a very very big barrier, twenty five thousand, and there were those that say we wouldn't break twenty five thousand by the end of the eighth year, and we're in the eleventh month. We broke 25,000 just as we came in. Now, I have to be a little careful because as we walk out, maybe it goes down. <laughs> you always have to be careful with that, Tom. But uh, we did, in fact, break 25,000, very substantially break it very easily. So I guess our new number is 30,000. Uh, but what, I, what it means is every time you see that number go up on Wall Street, it means jobs, it means success, it means 401ks that are flourishing. Okay. Well, you know, we've had lots of records. Uh, whoever's going to claim, I mean, Donald Trump loves to take, <laughs> take credit for these things. But we've had that. We've got well, Bitcoin set can, records. Can, I, you can got... I jump on that whole Donald Trump taking credit thing? Sure. I think we should give him some credit. Okay. Because if there was a lack of confidence in the leadership of the country and what that leadership can do, this would not have happened. Sure. This would not have happened. So unless earnings continue to increase, now and I don't have justified a, valuation. I don't have a Trump doll and a Trump flag on my front lawn or anything like that. But I, I will tell you that there needs to be some credit given um, because the the, the records are not just twenty six thousand, but since he's been elected to now, if there was a lack of optimism in his leadership and what he he and what the government can do this would not have happened in the market. You'd see pessimism, you'd see people leave, you'll see more money fly out of the country, and you're not seeing that. So there is some confidence. We have to give him some credit. He doesn't get 100% of the accolades for this, but there is some credit. Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm more of a market fundamentalist. Right? Yeah, but, <laughs> but the fundamentals also have to reflect on some sort of assumptions based on the future. And if you do not have the viewpoint that the future looks good with this leadership, right. your assumptions are going to be going to be pared down, and that means your your 
your numbers are not going to move forward. And that, that's, that's that's fine. I'm not saying good or bad. I'm just saying it's good politics to take it, you know, take advantage absolutely. of it and, and, he, and, and he, claim the record for it, for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Right. Uh, who was it? Al Gore built the Internet. I mean, it's great. It's great politics. So go for it. Right. But let's talk about uh, let's talk about records. Right. Because this permeates the headlines these days. We've got the Dow 25 or 26,000. You've got Bitcoin had set a record kind of pulled back. You've got cannabis stocks catching headlines going through the roof. This is all part of this whole issue we've been talking about. Do you about. know what people are not talking about, though? When what? you talk about records, Asian stock markets, right. record. China growing faster than in the last seven years. This is the first year in full that we've seen acceleration, acceleration. in their growth yeah. versus the past seven years. That's not happening on this side of the Atlantic. This is this side of the Atlantic is focused on the Dow Jones, right. on 30 companies that are just industrial viewpoints of the economy. They're just the large companies within the economy. That doesn't mean that's how the economy is moving. So we have to be aware of that. And I can tell you, it wasn't too long ago where people were using the Standard & Poor's 500 right. as the benchmark to talk about records there. And now that Dow Jones, and it's a bigger number, 26,000, the attention in the media right. goes in that direction. What you have to look at is fundamentals. And I said this on the air this week, and I think I was talking to Gord about this, and I said the Dow Jones hit a record and the S&P 500 is another record, but no one's talking about how the emerging markets are doing better than the, the American markets. Right. No one's talking about how Europe is actually growing faster than ever before when it comes to being a European Union. This is an amazing time that we are we are forgetting that there's a bigger story to this. And so, yes, we all talk about the U.S. because they're so close to us. But we do a disservice to the average investor when they just hear Dow Jones 26,000. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I think that's, um, you know, it's a media issue. And, uh, you know, kudos to you to sort of expand the conversation beyond just what's in our backyard, because that's what we tend to get focused on, right? People tend to be overweight. Canada, as an example, as a Canadian, from an investment perspective, um, but kind of look at what your Canada pension plan is doing. Uh, they're, yeah, they're investing for you, but they're not investing in Canada, right? So there is a much broader world out there with, well, not with opportunity. Correct. Not as much. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't want to say they're not. They're just, it's, it's not a Canadian focus. And I think when you are in the world of retirement, when you are in that zone, that what we call the retirement and the retirement risk zone, which is 10 years or less away from retirement, shooting after the lights or going after the, the hot flying uh, media piece like the Dow Jones or, or so forth. I've had people call me up and say, so how did you do versus the Dow? And then uh, I, I go, well, why are we comparing ourselves to the Dow, first of all? Um, because that's the that's the topic du jour, right? right? And so no one's yet compared me to Bitcoin because I'm crushing it so far, right? Like it's, you know, last... Well, this past week, anyway. This anyways. past week, I look great, right? So no one's compared me to Bitcoin yet. But um, but there's there's a bit of a concern of, of why am I not getting out, that fear of missing out that you always talk sure. about. Um, and that's why the benchmark has changed to now the Dow Jones versus whatever they want to call it, whatever the, the, the topic is. So I think what we have to understand is that when you're in retirement, you don't want 100% of the Dow Jones. Because when, quote, when, when the markets fall, you're going to get 100% of that too. Right. And so you have to be comfortable with the impacts to your retirement because of that. Right. Right. So, right. Yeah, yeah, proper structure. We, we talk about that an awful lot. Um, you know, I think it's it's incumbent upon uh, people to educate themselves about the different needs as we move through different stages of life, right? So there's sort of four general stages that we talk about, the accumulation of wealth, 
right? There's different timelines, strategies, and, and risk profiles for that stage of life in general terms versus the retirement risk zone, stage two, right? Plus or minus 10 years versus living in retirement. So although we call that one phase, Basil, it's probably four, like yeah. depending on how long you are, it's a complex stage of life. Very complex, right? absolutely. From a financial uh, and lifestyle perspective. And then there's the fourth phase, which is the transition, right? The legacy, getting the wealth that you've not uh, used in your life to the next generation's charities. And that's what frustrates me is when I hear um, individuals in our industry say, yeah, I do that too. Hmm. I do that retirement planning thing too. Uh, and it kind of, and I laugh at that only because you can't do it too. Either you do it only, yeah. or yeah, you you don't do it. Yeah, right? like you, exactly. I, it's like you know, it's I, I you know I, when people say to me that that I'm oh, kind of, I'm, I'm that kind of advisor a or that that institution <laughs> or that I do it too. I'm kind of a doctor. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I do yeah, that too. Yeah, and and so that's what that's what concerns me is that people are getting information, advice, uh, direction, education from uh, people who are not doing it full time. They're, they may be in my industry, right. but they're not doing it full time. So right. I think we need to be aware of that. When you're sitting down and you're, you're looking for your, your phase of life of retirement, transition to retirement, they better only do that because then you're not dealing with a specialist. Right. You're dealing with a generalist. And do you want a generalist dealing with your situation during specialized time? We're going to talk about one of the very fundamental uh, changes that take place in the way you have to invest and the risks that you incur as you move into that phase of life where you're withdrawing from your savings, right? It's funding your lifestyle. And we are going to address that. There's a very cool thought exercise we'll put you through, but we're going to address that specifically, and it's incumbent upon people to educate themselves about this at our upcoming seminar. Why don't you remind everybody about that? Yeah, Tuesday, January 23rd, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. Now you need to reserve your seats, so give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400, or you can register online on our website at morethanmoneyradio.com. Hey, did you know that uh, the disease that kids get? Uh, you talking about chicken pox? Chicken pox, thanks, because yeah. I've had chicken pox. I thought I was immune once I got the chicken pox, and it turns out that may not be the case, that as we get older, that, that, that uh, uh, virus may reactivate itself and create some significant problems for you. Tune in after the break. We're going to talk about that and how to protect yourself against that particular issue. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on uh, 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Uh, flu season's upon us again. Um, you know, and it's, it, it's been a bit of a rough one by all estimations, or at least it's predicted to be. How, I mean, how, how was that, that last shot workout for you there, my friend? <laughs> it's good. I haven't got it yet. Y- yet. Yet. But I heard it didn't work as well. I don't know. We're going to find out. We've okay. got uh, Dr. Craig uh, Jen, uh, Jenny joining us today. He's assistant professor. He's also uh, where he's at the Department of Microbiology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. I can't imagine how big that card is. Uh, Dr. Jenny, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Okay. Sorry, I just butchered that whole thing. I'll I'll, I'll get it on the way out, I promise. Um, the point is that uh, you know a little bit of something about uh, about infectious diseases, the flu and shingles and these kinds of things, and that's really what we want to focus on. Uh, maybe we can start off with the flu, and I want to just get your sense. Uh, you know, you heard Faisal's comment about uh, about the shots this year, and about uh, at least I've heard that it's a pretty severe uh, or a potentially severe flu going around. Tell us a little bit about what we can expect when flu season peaks, and uh, what we can do about it. Yeah, so so this year it is a, a pretty bad flu. Um, we're seeing, unfortunately, a lot of people in the hospital and even, a, unfortunately, a lot of uh, fatalities because of it. Um, as far as peak, we're 
probably coming up to it if mm-hmm. we're not in it right now. So the, the cases are still coming in, but we're hoping it started a little earlier this year. Hopefully this is around the peak and it'll start tapering off. So uh, heading into the peak, what is, is Faisal's understanding uh, correct? I mean, I did get a flu shot. Uh, my girls got a flu shot, but we have heard that the, uh, the flu shot perhaps wasn't as effective this year as it has been in past. So did we get a different strain than what we were expecting? Uh, it's not entirely clear yet. We'll have to, you know, go through the data at the end of the season. But I think what is already emerging is, is yeah, it's maybe not as protective. We're not sure why. Um, but that's for only one flu strain. So one thing to remember is a flu shot in Alberta is made up of multiple strains. And it's actually a really good match for the influenza B and the H1N1 that's still mixed into that flu shot. So influenza B is coming up right now. And the current shot is, a, is an excellent match for that. So you're recommending that people should go out and still get it? Like, I haven't got it, so should yeah, I do absolutely, it? Or? Absolutely. absolutely. There's some really interesting uh, data that came out earlier this year showing uh, senior citizens that get the flu shot every year, even in years where there's a complete mismatch, still have protection. So they'll get the flu, but they won't get as sick, um, fewer hospitalizations, fewer deaths, even if it's a complete mismatch, because it reminds a different part of your immune system that doesn't block you from getting sick, but helps you get better faster. Interesting. So what was this the strain between, or what's the connection that we've heard between the shot and Alzheimer's disease? I'm going to quickly go there, and then I'll come back to the real topic, though, because I just heard about this yesterday. Yeah, I, I don't think there's uh, a lot of hard evidence on that. Uh, we, we often hear these things come up. The other ones were with measles, mumps, rubella, and autism. I mean, those links have been clearly disproven. So, you know, what we do know is we've been using the same flu formulation now for, for more than a decade um, and very safe. So, so. I want to I change topics for just a second. We've talked about the flu before, and I think we've given a, a quick highlight again, and we've certainly yeah. got That's important recommendation yeah. about what to do. But um, shingles. Uh, shingles yes. is something we're hearing, hearing a little bit more about, um, and I want to talk a little bit about that. Maybe you can start with just a, a definition or help us understand what shingles is. Okay, well, shingles is basically, if you've ever had chicken pox in your life, when you get rid of chicken pox, the virus actually still hides and lives in your body. And as you get older and your immune system sort of gets a little weaker, uh, or as just time goes by, sometimes that virus can reactivate. And then that causes this outbreak on your skin, which is extremely painful, itchy, uh, in, in many ways, very debilitating. So it's, it's effectively the chicken pox virus. Exactly, yeah. So if you've had chicken pox in your life, you're now at risk of shingles. Okay. Hmm. Um, now, we understand, um, at least I think I understand, that there, there has been a vaccine for shingles in the past, but there's a new vaccine available on the market. So first question is, should people... If, I, th- I was always under the impression that if you, if you had chicken pox, you're not going to be uh, susceptible to that again, right? You've got an, an, an immunity to that, but clearly shingles is something slightly different or it's not the case. So yeah. dispel that, and should we get vaccinated against the shingles? Okay, so, so first, why do we get it if, if we've got immunity to chickenpox? Yeah. Um, basically, your immunity is why you don't get shingles when you're 20. Gotcha. Uh, so the immunity keeps it in check. But unfortunately, you know, as we get a little older, our immune system always needs a, a reminder. Um, and we used to get that all the time. When we had kids that had chickenpox, hmm. they would remind our immune system. But now fewer children have chickenpox. So we're getting fewer reminders, and our immune system doesn't get that boost. 
Okay. So unfortunately, it fades a little faster now and it fades in more people. So we're seeing more shingles. As far as whether to get the vaccine, um, the vaccines seem quite effective. So there are two out there, one that's been out for a little while. Um, it works fairly well. Um, but what was really clear in that one was it didn't work in older people. So once you got above 65, 70, it, was, it, it worked, but not as well. Right. The new one is specifically designed to, to work even in those age groups. So it's much more efficient in, in older patients. Um, should you get vaccinated? Um, it, they seem effective. Uh, thankfully, I've never had shingles, um, but my friends and colleagues that have have said it's, it's extremely painful. Uh, and if they could avoid it, they absolutely would do it. So we know it's a safe vaccine. We know it has pretty good efficacy. So I, my recommendation, I think, is is definitely talk to your doctor about getting one. So my my buddy over here, he's uh, he's turning a half a century. Whoa, whoa, and that's so a big is that number. the age? Whoa. Is that the number? Is that that the age group where he should be? Whoa, like, should I should I buy that for that out loud? Gee. Okay, so that he's turning fifty now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Should I get him that for Christmas? Like, is that is that my best gift to give him? Is some, a vaccine for? I think by guidelines, that's still going to be a little bit early. That that's definitely talk to your physician. So I've got friends here at work that have had shingles in their thirties. So. Hmm. You know, we have guidelines where we protect the most patients or we're dealing with the disease as we know it. Um, but so what's know, that guideline? What's the age that up, people should be really going into the doctors? And I would be, at 50, I'd be talking to your doctor All right. and, and go with their recommendation, right? So it's going to depend, have you had chicken pox? Have you, you know, yeah. things like that. So you know, it's a personal case-by-case um, evaluation. Um, but it's absolutely something at this point to to put on the table and have a discussion about. Happy birthday, Dave. Yeah, I was going to say, hey, listen, Dr. Gene, <laughs> would you guys pick up the pace on that, that youth pill that you're supposed to be coming yeah, up with? Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> I can't wait too much the, longer. Hey? Yeah, I'm still hoping for the needle-free vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, listen, I want to thank you very much for your uh, for your time and your input uh, and recommendations. So we are hitting the peak. Let's just remind everybody that, uh, you know, talk to your doctor about whether or not you should get a flu vaccination and yeah, whether still you're in work. that high-risk group. We're still group. recommending get it. Yeah, yeah, it's still working. The other flu strains are out there, and it protects against those for sure. And for all you old farts like me, I guess it's time to start talking about the shingles vaccination too. Listen, yeah. thanks very much, uh, Dr. Jeannie, for your time today. Anytime, guys. All right, we've been doing, uh, joined by Dr. Craig Genie. He's Assistant Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. Um, you know, the healthcare uh, bucket, right, uh, whether we're young or old, I mean, our focus is with people that are transitioning to living in retirement, and so they tend to be, as we get older, entering into some of those high-risk groups, right? We should have maybe asked about why the difference is, you know, 65 versus 20. I guess it's maybe just the weakness of your immune system. But the fact is... Things change. Yeah, and the concern about your health becomes more a reality. Not only are you experiencing changes to yourself, but you're seeing your peer group uh, with their experiences are going to affect you. Mm -hmm. And so you want to make sure that you've protected yourself on the quality of care. And so as people transition or live in retirement, one of their concerns is, will I be able to have the quality of care that I want when I retire? Does my financial resources uh, support that? And so that's going to be part of the conversation on Tuesday, January 23rd, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. Now you need to reserve your seat. So give us a call at 966-8400, 966-8400, or go to our website at morethanmoneyradio.com. You know, uh, the the takeaway from this, you're kind of, you're bugging me about 50, and you know that that 50 for me, I, maybe it's, there's always a, a birthday that 
catches people's attention. Fifty is the one that's got my attention. And I, the one thing that's caught my attention, Faisal, is I think it's um, um, you've got to be an active participant now, right? I'm thinking about healthcare, right? So yeah. I'm thinking about what he's talking about. You have to be an active participant in it. I'm not. I, I, I've lost my immortality. <laughs> Right when I was 25, whatever, do whatever, you know, get a flu shot, not get a flu shot. You yeah. know, chances are so low anything's going to affect you because you're just, you know, your immune system's You're good. aware more now. Yeah. yeah. Well, but now it's there's no layups, right? So you got to make some conscious choices about health, um, and you got to think a little bit of, uh, a bit more. But it definitely becomes a bigger part of the planning cycle. Like when we talk to people about retirement, that health care becomes an asset class that they that they cherish and that they want to protect to make sure that they can enjoy those, those years. Okay, um, listen, before we take a break here, I want you to uh, think a little bit about if you're a business owner. We're going to talk about a novel way to sell your business if you're hoping to retire. Stick around for that. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal. You're on uh, 770 CHQR and more than money. Hang on, I'm all tangled up in you're my own. Right? Listen, you know, we've got lots of people that are um, have built successful businesses, have put their heart and sweat and uh, time in uh, in building a business. And maybe they're getting to that point where they have to start thinking about uh, exiting, right? Do you know how there are a lot of Canadians who rely on their business to fund their retirement? They've put the entire amount of their, their savings, mm-hmm. net worth, mm-hmm. um, retirement plan in their business. And so to get that equity, that money out to retire, to enjoy uh, the, uh, the fruits of their labor... Right. Uh, is is a very difficult task, and it's a long process. Yeah, that's right. It's not something you wake up one day and uh, you know you just execute. Yeah, on, you're not right? selling a stock on the stock market. That's it's, correct. It's a lot more yeah. more difficult. Yeah. So there's lots of different ways to do that, um, and we're going to explore perhaps uh, a bit of a novel approach to to that as we sort of work on this. Um, you know, this idea of trying to reposition the wealth that you've accumulated over your wealth to uh, to a format that might be better suited to supporting your lifestyle needs as you go through uh, go through retirement. And we've got uh, Hillary Abel, who's a co-founder of Project Equity, joining us today. Hillary, welcome to the show. Thank you. So let's let's just talk a little bit about this um, this whole notion of I own a business and I'd I'd like to transition it. It can be a bit of a daunting task. Um, you're focused on a, on a new concept that looks at your employees becoming the future owners as you retire. So tell us just a bit about Project Equity, and then let's start the conversation around this idea of how employees can become owners. Sure. Project Equity is a a U.S. nonprofit based in Oakland, California, that works throughout the United States, raising awareness and helping business owners understand the different approaches to employee ownership and the reasons they might be interested in considering it. And then we help them assess the feasibility of an employee ownership transition. And if they want to move forward, we work with them from beginning to end and even beyond the transition to help the company thrive once it becomes employee owned. So how does, and, how does uh, it all know, work? Like, like, how does that all work? There, Hillary? Uh, <laughs> sure. Um, the, the, the simplest way to describe it is that when a business owner decides to convert their company to employee ownership, they'll set up a new employee-owned entity. And it's usually an ESOP, which I know you have in Canada, like we do in the United States, um, an employee stock ownership plan, Um, or it could be a worker cooperative. And there are some other forms of employee ownership, broad-based employee ownership, where everybody who, who meets the basic criteria can participate as an employee owner. 
So a new entity is set up, and then that entity actually buys the business from the selling owner. And it's usually financed primarily through debt, although there will be some equity from from the new employee owners in, in many cases. It's usually a combination of seller financing and then external financing. So we have a lot of community development financial institutions in the United States that have been supporting these types of transitions. And we're hoping that that banks and other types of funders will be doing so in the future. So uh, who is this uh, geared towards? Is this for small business, medium, large, or does it matter? It it can happen with all sizes of business, actually. Our particular target um, at Project Equity is to small and medium-sized businesses that are independently locally owned and we're, we're most interested in speaking to the very business owners you were talking about in the beginning of our conversation, the, the baby boomers who have, have built businesses mm-hmm. over decades and who do, who do rely on those businesses for their retirement. And um, you'll forgive me, I'm sure, for using United States statistics. I'm sorry, I don't have the parallel ones for Canada. But I can tell you that in the United States, 10,000 baby boomers are retiring every day. And while there's been a lot of focus on what that means for the healthcare system or Social Security, it wasn't until recently that we have helped and many others have make the you know, cities and local economic development officials aware of the impact on the small business community and on our local economies. And in the United States, it's actually 2.3 million businesses owned by baby boomers. And that's from a project equity study that used you know, pretty conservative data from our Census Bureau. Mm-hmm. And they employ 25 million people. And we, when we compare that to the, um, you know, full and all employment, all jobs in the United States, it's actually one in six jobs mm-hmm. are in these businesses owned by baby boomers. Mm-hmm. So um, they're independently held businesses that generally do not have succession plans. They generally don't have a family member to pass the business on to. Here it's only about 15% of businesses these days that do pass on to a, a child in the family. Um, so we're, we're raising awareness about the idea that employee ownership can offer you buyers who are literally working beside you day to day and have helped the owner build that business. And what, what organizations like us do, and, and there are folks in Canada who do it as well, um, is to help structure, work with the selling owner and with the, a subset of the employees to structure a doable and, and appropriate for, the, for their goals. Um, approach to employee ownership, choosing the entity, designing the governance, um, making sure there's a smooth management transition, um, and then we help walk them through it. So it's an idea that most people, as you said, are not familiar with. And so when when they hear about it, it feels complicated and confusing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is a complex process, but we we make it very doable for folks. And I think that's one piece, uh, Dave, that a lot of business owners don't really look into deep. They look at external buyers, Mm -hmm. They look at, you know, the, the individual, maybe even the competitors to buy them out, but they don't look at what's in their underneath their own roof in, in that, that sense where they can they can build from the ground up with employees, not business partners, mm-hmm. but employees who can then take over and, and, and move from there. So there's a huge opportunity. I think people need to look at this now. Now, um, Hillary, how far in advance before mm-hmm. you sell your business should you be looking at opportunities like this? I'm so glad you asked that question because I think a lot of people think you can make this happen quickly. And like you said, um, you, you shouldn't approach it as a quick turnaround process. We like to see business owners planning five to 10 years in advance. Um, but if you haven't done that, no need to worry. I think if, if business owners allow themselves a, a two-year transition timeline, that can work very well. 
Um, and that would include, you know, learning about this, deciding which way to go, and then doing some transition after the company has converted. We, we believe that we can now get the process down to less than a year um, for the actual feasibility assessment and transition. But we're fairly on par with these employee ownership conversions with, I think, selling through a business broker. Most brokers we've talked to would say you should probably allow one year minimum and more likely two to right. see a sale go through. I think given the financial times that we've had over the past, let's call it a decade, um, there's been ups and downs, especially in this province. Uh, we've had a lot of business owners have had some tough times recently. And so they may not be able to have that vision that they're going to um, sell their business in the near future, mm-hmm. two, five years down the road, they might want to stick through it a little bit longer because they may have to or or just it's not the right time to sell or what have you. And so um, the prepare, the preparation for that is is not always done until it's some, probably too late sometimes. And so, uh, Hilary, from your experience, if people are still unsure about, about when they want to pull that trigger data sale, should they still explore this opportunity and look at what the avenue is and, and the ideas behind it? Absolutely. I would recommend any business owner to start as early as you can to explore this, because even if you don't want to start designing and executing a transition for a Mm -hmm. few years, there are lots of things you can do that are good for your business in any scenario that will help prepare you for an employee ownership transition. So those are things like open book management, you know, sharing, doing education about your company's financials with the workforce. And that's something that benefits any business and makes it more profitable and stronger and different forms of employee engagement can be a great way to develop both the culture that will, you could call an ownership culture, you know, whether or not people are literally owners, but you can develop that sense of responsibility and commitment to the business, as well as understanding the business itself. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's well said, and, and perhaps we'll, uh, we'll leave it at that point, um, which is, uh, you know, I thank you for, for joining us today, because I think it's interesting uh, who better knows the value of your business and how to run the business than the people that have been working in the business? Well said. Right? And as Faisal said, I think that's sometimes uh, not the first thought, uh, you know, to go there. You look for a, for a single purchaser or a strategic acquisition, but often those people working there are the best, uh, are the best ne- next generation. Hillary, thank you very much for taking time with us. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. We've been joined by Hillary Abel, co-founder of Project Equity. Uh, Faisal, I think that uh, when you have a business, it's an asset. Ultimately, an asset will be, um, it can be retained, it can be changed, it can be sold as you uh, move through life, different stages, right? All those assets, the composition, the the respectful decomposition sometimes and recomposition of assets to meet that next stage of your life is something we're going to be talking about. Yeah, this show shows complexity at the end of the day. It's not easy to transition into retirement, regardless if you're a business owner or not. The transition to retirement is very complex, and we're going to discuss our solution behind how to bulletproof your retirement on Tuesday, January 23rd, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. Now you need to reserve your seats, so give us a call at 966-8400. That's 966-8400, or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. Okay, and stick around after the break because we're going to continue our series that we started last week on divorce and retirement. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Faisal, last week we started a, um, a series that we're going to do on a topic uh, that unfortunately we have to cover, um, which is divorce. Correct. And we know that the fastest segment of the population that is experiencing or going through divorce is 55 plus, what they call gray divorce. 
all kinds of reasons for that. Now, not suggesting that it's any easier or harder uh, at the one stage versus another, but there's both emotional and financial implications. And as a certified divorce financial analyst yourself, um, you sort of handle that part of our practice and helping, you know, on a, on a post-divorce care <clears throat> basis. And you see the the implications both financially and emotionally for yeah, people. It, it's crazy what, what people go through when it comes to transitioning to retirement and going through a divorce. And so, uh, you know, we handle the financial side of things. Um, there's a legal component to it. And then there's an emotional piece to it. And I think, you know, um, we need to discuss this because this is where a lot of the decisions are being made, yep. either emotionally yep. or their lack of emotion or whatever it may be. Um, that part of the process needs to be addressed. And so I'm glad that we have our, our expert on the show today. Sure. And we're going to welcome Karen Goslin to the show. She's a clinical therapist for individuals, couples, and families. Karen, thanks for joining us. Well, I'm glad to be here, Dave. Thanks. Not sure that we can do justice to the emotional impact of, uh, of moving through a divorce uh, and getting to the other side of it in the time that we have available. But I sure would like to start the conversation um, with a, an awareness from your experience about the kinds of emotions that are normal. I, you know, I've been through a divorce myself. Uh, I think that it was very valuable for me to be able to talk to other people that had been through it or going through it at the same time, just to realize that the emotions I was experiencing, I wasn't alone, right? So there's got to be a common set that you're going to expect to see. And what would you counsel for people that are perhaps thinking about this in the middle of it or just on the other side of it? What, what are they going to experience? Yeah, you can see a wide range of emotions that really can often depend on uh, our personality type, uh, whether we've had any previous losses in our life. But you do see some common profiles with this, um, you know, at, at the beginning. And, and there can be a, even different reasons why the divorce is happening. And that can in and of itself create a different experience for individuals going through this. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes you'll when when divorce, the diverse, divorce process is starting, you'll see an exhaustion oftentimes when people have already been trying, so sometimes for many years, trying to make the marriage work. Uh, so there is, even uh, before even any of the divorce process starts taking place, you're going to start from a baseline of exhaustion, usually because you've been trying to make things work. But you'll see a wide range of negative emotions. I always you know, say it's kind of like going into the storm, you know, there'll be anger. Sometimes there's shock if you're not the one that's uh, initiating a divorce, a high level of despair or depression, even devastation, uh, a lot of anxiety and fear. There's a lot of uncertainty yep. about what my life is going to look like, especially if there's children involved. Uh, you know, it can make it even more complicated. Um, and there's often an experience of betrayal. Uh, in the sense of, of whatever has been, you know, the dreams, right? The dreams of your life, the dreams of what you thought was going to happen. Uh, and obviously, if there's any affair or extramarital uh, relationship, then that just complicates it as well. But there's a disorientation and definitely a heightening of the experience if there's ever been any kind of significant previous losses. That's how we typically see people going into the divorce process. Um, and then once it starts taking place, Sometimes we'll see even, uh, you know, that adrenaline push at the beginning. There's a lot of independent decisions that have to be made that are separate from what decisions you would have made as a couple. So it's kind of the beginning of the uncoupling process. So you're almost uh, start to go on autopilot because there's a lot of legal financial decisions to be made. Some people can feel empowered through that process, but reality starts setting in uh, and you start bargaining. And then once the divorce process kind of takes hold and you're kind of through the legal and financial decision-making, 
what we often see with people at that point is a regrieving of the loss. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like when somebody has passed away, the, the funeral's over, the relatives have gone home. And what we often see people doing at that point is they regrieve the original loss. Um, and that's a normal process. Um, that's actually quite healthy. Uh, and at that point, people are working through what the real hidden message of their divorce might be. Uh, as I say, whenever there's a loss or a crisis of any kind, there's usually a hidden message for people to take away, a lesson for them to learn in terms of how they showed up in that relationship. Um, but there's a regrieving at a deeper level. Uh, they revisit old losses uh, and they try to figure out what the takeaway is. And so there's can be some excitement or some empowerment in that process as they start to get a taste of what their new life will look like, what the new normal is after the divorce. So really quickly, we have about two minutes left. Give us some, some tips for dealing with this emotional stress. Well, I think what people really need to pay attention to is their daily routines. They want to check in to make sure that they're eating well, having good sleep, uh, having a balance so they have a life outside this divorce process uh, so that they're uh, tapping into their natural supports uh, and forcing themselves out for activities that are outside of the divorce, that they're all, they've got a good exercise program, finding a good community support group where they can be less alone and talk to other people who are going through the same experience. Uh, doing a form of meditation or breathing where they can really, you know, get outside the stress and kind of connect with their body. You know, new school meditation is really just about you can, you know, bring attention to your breath anywhere, anytime. And the key thing is also to ground our thinking. Uh, when we're stressed, whether we're depressed or anxious or angry, uh, we can get into a whole set of negative types of thinking. And uh, that can really exaggerate our symptoms. So it's always good to kind of catch your breath, uh, reorient your thinking towards what's the true facts of a situation, just very specific type thinking, and get connected with what's truly most important in your life. And that can really help direct our behavior in a, in a very assertive way that's going to empower us. I'm going to just finish off that comment. I mean, uh, first of all, Karen, if somebody was interested in getting some of this support um, uh, through you, how do they contact you? Sure. I have a website, KarenRSW.com. So even though I'm based in Toronto, I have a telephone and video counseling that I offer. Mm -hmm. And it is good that if, if people notice that their symptoms are getting into a more serious range where there's profound hopelessness, uh, relying on drugs and alcohol, uh, feeling very uh, hopeless, uh, you know, gaining a lot of weight, not being extremely tired, uh, stuck in rage, then it really is good to reach out to a professional. So that website, KarenRSW.com, it has all of my information about the approach that I take with counseling uh, has my phone number and also my email address. There's also good separation groups in your community uh, that also would be good to tap into. And I'll just remind everybody, this is a process. It's, uh, you know, it takes time and there's a series of steps. Um, Karen, thanks for joining us. Okay, you're most welcome. Thank you for having me. Been joined by Karen Gosland, clinical therapist for individuals, couples and families. Clearly it's a big issue, uh, Faisal. It's not one that can be solved overnight and often professional help at all levels, emotional, legal, financial, are necessary to, to make sure you get through that with the best possible outcome. Absolutely. And so this is part of the processes as you transition to retirement. And if you're going through a, a, a 
a loss like this or a change like this, um, you need to have the proper approach and, and strategy. So we're going to talk about how do you ch transition to retirement regardless of your situation on Tuesday, January 23rd, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. You need to reserve your seats. Give us a call 966-8400 or go to our website at morethemoneyradio.com. Check out morethemoneyradio.com for any of our past segments or have them delivered directly to you by searching for More Than Money CHQR on iTunes or your favorite podcast. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.